Thanks for tuning in to Stable Connections, the podcast. Today's episode is with Sarah, CEO of Ruthless Kindness and is executive director of Sonoma Cart, an animal evacuation team in Sonoma. And though she's not a horse person, she helps many around this county. Hope you enjoy. Question, tell me about yourself. Where do I start? <laughs> yeah. My name is Sarah and I live in Sebastopol. Cool. I've lived in Sonoma County for about six years. I moved up here for a job as a veterinarian at an animal shelter. I'm a mom of three teenagers and a veterinarian. I actually did not think I wanted to be a veterinarian. I always loved animals and I remember being very connected to animals my whole life. Even when I was in elementary school, my favorite movie was Gorillas in the Mist and definitely connected to animals. But I did not want to be a veterinarian. I was planning on going to medical school, actually. My grandmother had Parkinson's disease and I watched her suffer and I wanted to do something about it. And then I went on a medical student's trip to Nepal and we trekked up to Everest Space Camp and we stopped at all the clinics along the way and we went to big hospitals in Kathmandu. And what I noticed is there were tons of human doctors doing tons of amazing projects, but all around me were animals that were blatantly suffering with nobody addressing it in any way whatsoever. And there was one very specific memory of a girl who fell. She got a little gash on her head. She got surrounded by community members and medical students and doctors and nurses, and everybody was bandaging her and helping her. And I was still just a college student, so I couldn't really help, so I stayed on the outside. And there were these dogs all around, completely malnourished, open wounds, limping, and nobody cared. And so that line really showed up to me as arbitrary, and I felt like I could ease more suffering if I switched to vet school. So I was very late in changing to vet school. For undergrad, I went to Stanford, which I chose because Probably it was the best school I got into, and I think I got a little tiny swimming scholarship. And then I went to UC Davis for veterinary school. At the time, I chose it because it was the state school, Mm -hmm. and it had the lowest tuition, and it was a good school, which I regret a little bit because the tuition changed while I was there, and it became the same price as a private school. And I had really liked Tufts Veterinary School. It seemed a little more progressive, so I a little bit regret that decision, but it was, of course, it's a great school. I actually enjoyed school. I did. I was kind of a nerd. I was competitive with my brothers, so I enjoyed getting good grades. They very much, you know, talked down to me as the youngest sibling and the only girl in the family, and so I had fun sort of using it as a as a game. And I I actually enjoyed school. I enjoyed studying and by the time I went to vet school, I had 3 babies. I had 3 toddlers, and I was home with them until They were preschool age, and then I felt I could go back to vet school because they'd be in preschool most of the day. But when I went to vet school and I could sit down in a lecture with a cup of coffee and just focus on one thing after I'd been running around with toddlers for so many years, it was like luxurious. Yeah. Focus back on you. Yeah. Yeah. And learn. Yeah. I was investing in me and my knowledge and my career, and and then I got to go home and still have the family time. So it actually was a beautiful mix. Super cool. That's amazing that you did that for yourself, too. (laughs) When I was in veterinary school, I lived in Davis. 
And then the question after veterinary school was, you know, where to go to raise my family and where to work. And I went through a, the most major life crisis I have ever had at the in the final year of my veterinary school experience, which was divorce with children involved. And so that determined where I went, which was back to my hometown. My dad still had the big house we grew up in, so there was room for me and my kids, and we could just regroup. So we we lived there and figured out our next steps. So I was living in the East Bay. I was working as a veterinarian in Berkeley. And then... um, And still had three toddlers to... Yeah. (laughs) Yep. And just kind of navigated that transition, which was messy and hard and stressful. And then the, the job up in Sonoma... Santa Rosa technically it came up and I was offered the job what's that job uh it was medical director at the Humane Society of Sonoma County looked like a great job I had a really good friend up here who said just move up here you'll love it you'll never leave and I turned it down because I felt like my kids had been through enough transition I didn't want to move them again and I didn't know with an ex-husband if how moving would go and all of that and so I turned it down And then over the next six months or so, a little bit regretted it because I couldn't afford to get my own home in the town where we were living in the East Bay. The job that I had, there was talk of it getting closed down, uh, the hospital that I was working at. And so I was feeling unstable, a little bit regretting it. And then they called me back and they said, we're still thinking of you. We'd still like you to take this job. And so I kind of took it as a sign and went for it. And definitely one of the best moves ever made. How long ago was that? That was, we moved up here in 2015, July 2015. I left the Humane Society in 2019. So for those, you said three, wait, four years that you were with them? Mm -hmm. How was that? It was great. It was a big job. I started off as the shelter medicine director. And so I was just overseeing the shelter medicine program. I think it was maybe a month after I started, the Lake County fires happened. And so we jumped in and helped respond to that from an animal perspective. So it was busy right from the get-go. And then my position expanded to overseeing our spay-neuter clinic and then also overseeing our public hospital, which we transitioned from a profit-making, although it was for a nonprofit, but a profit-making public hospital to more of a community clinic. So it just, it got bigger and bigger and I was going in early and earlier and staying later and doing a lot more administration. And um, so it changed a lot while I was there. It was a great, great job for me at that time. I think I always knew that wasn't my forever job. It made sense for that time in my life, Mm -hmm. for sure. But I had studied nonprofit management. I knew I wanted to do something that wasn't already being done. The Humane Society, like they've got their mission, they've got their programs, and they've kind of got it down. Mm -hmm. So me being there, I can push things to be a little more progressive. I can try to start new programs. I can try to raise standards or whatever it is, but I couldn't necessarily do something that wasn't being done before. And I felt like I needed to do something to make a bigger difference, I guess. It's interesting because I remember thinking about there was all of this kind of suffering and heartbreak that I was seeing and I wanted to address, but I didn't know how. (laughs) I had worked at four different animal shelters in various capacities from Stockton, big giant municipal shelters to small private well-funded shelters. And I had seen 
suffering animals and suffering people, but I didn't necessarily have the solution. And so there was just years of observing. And then it was like, all right, this is taking too long. I'm in this position where I can help. I need to figure this out. And so I actually just did a kind of personal needs assessment. I made a list of people I wanted to talk to. I wrote down a list of questions and I just went around the community and asked these questions. So I went to our violence prevention council and I went to family and child services and I went to a bunch of nonprofits and a bunch of government agencies. And was this just a spark idea for what you're doing next? It was knowing that I was starting a nonprofit and I had pages of ideas of things that I thought could help. Mm hmm. But it felt like I was coming from a place of imposing an idea versus it being a grassroots idea. And so I just felt like I needed to listen more. So it was interesting. I got a lot of answers to those questions that weren't all that exciting. But the last question on my list was, if I had $2 million that I could give you right now, what would you do with that money that could better help your community that that you want. And then people really opened up. They had these really cool ideas and, oh man, I would do this and I would do this. And then a lot of those ideas started overlapping and mm -hmm. that's where I could tell there was a gap that yeah. needed to be filled. What came out of just listening to the community was what I already knew, but it really became Apparent. clear. Yeah. yeah. Was that suffering animals are linked to suffering people. And animals who are at risk are linked to people who are at risk. Animals who are abused are linked to people who are abused. And then the flip side, the positive side, is that animals and people heal each other. And so it was that link. And that the two professions weren't talking to each other, human social services and, and the animal professionals. And so that link was where we needed to go. Specifically, really easy program that we started with was domestic violence survivors. And we found out that about 50% wouldn't leave their abusers because they didn't want to leave their animals behind. But right. they didn't have anywhere to go where they could bring their animals with them. And it makes sense, right? 100%. Your dogs, your family, you're not going to leave them behind with an abuser, especially if they might get harmed or they might get used as a power play, right? And so we just implemented a program where we could help them leave and bring their animals with them. But it's true. I, I used to sort of resent how people wouldn't care about a cause until it affected them. You know, it's like, well, you know, Michael J. Fox, why didn't you donate to Parkinson's research before you had Parkinson's? Shouldn't we care about things before we're personally affected by them? And yes, we should care. But that connection yeah. where you can truly empathize with your clientele or the people you serve or your yeah. cause is irreplaceable. Starting a nonprofit was so vulnerable. It's really, it was more so than I thought because you're exposed, all the ideas that are in your head and your heart come out. You have to share them. It's getting real. <laughs> it's getting real. And then they get tested, you know, as far as is anybody going to want to be a part of this? Is it going to be successful? So you're kind of desperate for validation, whether that's a grant or whether that's somebody just telling you, <laughs> yeah, thumbs up. Yeah. Um, but it's just like, it's very vulnerable. Fortunately, I feel like we put enough time into sort of listening to other people and really making sure that it was a useful plan. I, I studied nonprofit management and, you know, the number one rule is don't start a nonprofit if there's already a nonprofit doing what, what you want to do. Yeah. Like, don't start another one and compete with them. Go help the nonprofit who's already doing this well. And I agree with that 100% because starting a business is hard and usually they don't succeed. And so in this case, there was nobody doing it. And so we just 
we just did it. You have yeah. so many different chapters I know, to go I know, over. It's interesting. <laughs> Sonoma Card is my paid job. That's my full-time job. My nonprofit that I started, I don't take any salary or anything like that. So that's truly a volunteer other part of my life. I'm executive director of Sonoma Cart. I started that in February of 2021 as far as my job, but I'd been volunteering with Sonoma Cart on the small animal team since they started. We officially started in 2019 as far as getting our incorporation documents, but we started working as a group in 2017. Volunteering with Sonoma Cart was so important. Sonoma Cart is a nonprofit that exploded. Its success exploded because the need is so great. And what is it, if you don't mind explaining it for people that sure. don't know what it is? Sonoma Cart is our it's our local animal disaster response team. So we train and prepare for disasters and emergencies like fires and floods. Mostly it's been fires, of course. And then when a disaster does happen, we evacuate animals. We shelter animals. So usually at the Sonoma County Fairgrounds, the Sonoma Horse Park, we will have hundreds, thousands of animals that have been evacuated and we'll shelter them, feed them, provide free veterinary care. And then at the end of a disaster, of course, we reunite animals with their people or if they need to be transported somewhere, we figure that out. So that's really the heart of what we do and there's some more peripheral programs, but that's the heart of what we do. And the reason the organization has grown so big so fast is because we keep having these disasters. disasters. Yeah. And like I was saying with the other nonprofit, Ruthless Kindness, people often won't leave. They won't evacuate if they have to leave their animals behind. They love their animals. They don't want them to suffer. They consider them their family. But where do they go? But where do they go? And if somebody doesn't have a trailer, or if somebody doesn't have the ability to bring their animals with them, or if their animals take off, sometimes people won't leave, which just creates this compounded emergency. And so the more we can prepare people or assist people, the better. Stepping into the executive director position was just a big case of imposter syndrome, to be honest, because when you take on a title like executive director, it's sort of like you're supposed to know everything. And and I had done all the training and I had all the experience. I definitely on paper had those qualifications, but it the cause and the importance of what Sonoma Cart does is just so important. And I wanted to make sure I did such a great job that it came with some some fear right but it's gone really well our community is supportive in us having an animal response team other communities don't treat animals with the same respect as people and of course there is that hierarchy there as far as government services and where the money goes but people here care about their animals and so they are listening and they are participating we have hundreds of volunteers we can use more always. So it's gone well. It's it's a growing process. We're a new organization. We have so much to learn still, but so far so good. And if someone wanted to volunteer, how do they reach out to do that? To volunteer, you just go to our website, sonomacart.org. There's a button to click that says volunteer and you just fill out an application and that's how it starts. And yeah. then from there, there's general volunteers, but we also need really specialized volunteers people who get trained to go do evacuations behind fire lines. And we also need volunteers that aren't involved with animals, right? We need somebody to run our website. We need people to write grants for us. Pick up stuff you know? from office yeah. supply stores. Right. Yeah. We need a volunteer who will bring our volunteers food during yeah. disasters or refill the water jugs, you know? So we really need anybody who's interested in getting involved. We probably have something that will fit. How can someone prepare best for a fire? 
As far as preparation, what I've noticed is people have, some people love disaster preparation, but the majority of people have an aversion to preparing themselves for the worst case scenario, right? Nobody wants to spend money or time or preparing thought. or thought. Thought is scary. Right. It's scary to think like, 100%. if my house is on fire, right. what do I take? Who do I take with right. me? People yeah. don't want to go there. And so people tend to not prepare. It's something that may never happen. So you're thinking, well, this might be a waste of my time to prepare. And so people don't. But what we have seen over and over again is tragedy that was preventable. Some of it's not, but some of it is. And so I just would urge people to just write it in their calendar and force themselves to do it. It's just like going to the doctor every year or going to the dentist. You don't want to do it. Just do it. And where to start? There's a couple of different places. You can go to our website, sonomacart.org. There's resources there as well as links and stuff. Yeah. As well as links to other organizations. And you just print out your checklist of how to prepare your animals what exactly you need to do and just just do it and you know make sure that when you are asked to evacuate just do it early especially when you have animals it's going to take longer you know make sure that you have a way to transport your animals even if you don't have your own transport know who you're going to call that kind of thing have all your numbers handy and the other thing is sign up for alerts sign up for sonoma county alerts sign up for nixle alerts all of those things so you know and there's a new sonoma county app called watch duty that i got recently that because I was I friends with Sonoma cart people but I was Mm -hmm. never I never knew when fires were happening Mm -hmm. I just kind of reached out to them and this app alerts you right away right away yeah right away it's a little I've noticed it's a little bit triggering for some people because every single notification comes up even if it's a small fire that gets put out right away yeah yeah so beware of that but I think it's a good idea you're gonna know first if you're on and multiple apps multiple notifications best case scenario, have a buddy that's going to call you or knock on your door in case your phone dies or, you know, whatever it is. Just make sure you know quickly. Yeah. And this, this preparation is for even people that have just dogs or just cats or a rabbit, or it's not farms with horses and chickens and goats. It's anyone, even if you live in town. And even if you don't have animals, you can still help because there might be somebody who's elderly who has animals and they're not gonna be able to load their dog or they're not gonna be able to lift the crate with their cat in it or whatever it is. It's still worth putting some time into animal disaster response. And just maybe knowing your neighbors. There's probably less of knowing your neighbors, especially in rural areas, right? But maybe just one day introducing yourself and exchanging phone numbers. Absolutely. Seems like such a beneficial thing. Oh, so many people have been saved just by their neighbor knocking, banging on their door. Yeah. Like having a system to let them know when you're out of town so that they're not going to like break into your house and you're not there. Yeah. You know, set up a system so they know when, doesn't have to be, you don't have to announce to your whole neighborhood, but somebody you trust. Yeah. Letting them know when you're home and you're not. What is it like raising teenagers now within <laughs> all of this? So you're running Sonoma Carts. You are still running your nonprofits. What is it like also having three teenagers. I am I am surprising myself by saying I love having teenagers. My oh. kids right now are 14, 15, and 16. Well, I had a brief leave from vet school, so I had to like... <laughs> Get them know. out quick. Yeah. <laughs> God, I love them. They're really different from each other and unique and passionate and funny. Are you single parenting? After my ex-husband and I broke up, I honestly was pretty sure I never wanted to be in a relationship yeah. again ever. I was just done. I didn't need it, wasn't interested in it, and it scared me. And that was that. It was just, that wasn't going to be a part of my life anymore, and that's fine. And my very first job as a veterinarian, 
I was working out in Stockton at a very, very large municipal shelter that was very rough at the time. Very, very high euthanasia rate, no vet care at all. And I was the first vet on site. And I was actually hired by San Francisco SPCA, which was an hour and a half away in the city. But they had this cool program where they, they had actually stopped working with Stockton because the animals coming from there were always in such bad shape. And then they decided that instead of cutting them off, maybe they should help, which was great. And in doing so, they hired me, this brand new straight out of vet school vet, go out in <laughs> Stockton. And, you know, these animals needed more than, you know, I was just this newbie. So again, imposter syndrome. So I was out in Stockton and working in really very rough circumstances. It was more like a military medic, to be honest, than being in a vet hospital. My exam table was a dryer, (laughs) many days on top of a dryer, and just seeing some really, really, really hard things. But it was good for me at the time because I was going through a hard time, and so I had some perspective on others having it a hell of a lot worse than me. But anyway, this uh, coworker of mine, who actually was the woman who hired me, uh, would come out once a week and check on me and she was a much more experienced veterinarian. And it was really interesting. I started noticing how much I looked forward to the days that I was working with her. And then I remember driving to work one day, again, it was an hour and a half away, so it was a very long drive. And I remember, and she was coming out that day, and I remember I was like, I think I'm like glowing from my chest. I felt this like, wow, like I really feel like I'm glowing, like this is an interesting experience. And I then eventually, I think I was talking to a friend of mine who's been gay forever. And she's like, you're crushing on her. And I was like, no, what? No, like I've always, <laughs> what? Like, I am like, I have no problem being with somebody of the same gender, but that's just not like, I'm not made that way. And then I was like, oh my God, I totally am. Interesting. I totally am. So anyway, and it was inter- it was an interesting process because I had gone on a couple dates after my divorce. With men. With men. That were horrible. It was like, I don't know what it was, but I had panic attacks. I would go to the bathroom and tell my friends, like, call me, get me out of this date. And I just didn't want them anywhere near me. I didn't want to date. And then this weird thing snuck up on me with a woman. So we started dating. I accepted my feelings for her pretty quickly, Yeah. but I knew I couldn't act on it. I was in, I was going through divorce proceedings. You know, I had family members who were like really not thinking it was a good idea and the kids would get bullied if mom's with another woman. And so it was really much like, yeah, absolutely. I feel this and I can't do anything about it right now. And that's okay. But it happened anyway. (laughs) (laughs) But you can't stop your heart from going... Yeah. I mean, we still saw each other because we were working with each other. And um, and did you know that she was into girls? Yeah. She okay. was. She had been married to a woman for like 19 years. Okay. I didn't at first. When I started having feelings for her, I had no idea. But yeah. then once I got to know her, she had been... Open about it. Open about it for, you know, years and years and years. I had um, news from my custody case that was really scary and I was upset. And I felt like I just needed to go to the ocean. And so I drove into the city and I was just sitting at the ocean and I texted her and she's like, oh, I'll come down and be with you. And so like nothing happened, but it was just like kind of obvious at that point. It was interesting. The the sense of safety with her was just, it was unconditional. And I'd never had that experience with anybody, probably other than my mother. It was very, very interesting experience. And I don't think that's why I chose her to be my partner. I think it was actually much more and much deeper than that. But I still... 
I've been with her eight years now, I think. And still that unconditional sense of safety is there. Yeah. And it's, oh man, that's really invaluable. Are you guys married? Yeah. Cool. We got married about four years into our relationship. Is she involved with Sonoma Cart, your mm-hmm. nonprofit? Is she involved in any of that kind of stuff? Yeah. Kate is also a veterinarian. She's actually medical director at Guide Dogs for the Blind. She has volunteered with Sonoma Cart as long as I have. So she was recently up at the Dixie Fire with us, and she's still very much involved. And then she's co-founder of the nonprofit, so she's very much involved with Ruthless Kindness as well. I think it is a lot to do everything, parenting, working, living together, and I wouldn't be able to do it 24-7. I mean, she still goes to work for long days, and we have our separate spaces and separate interests, you know, and I really love my solitary time and so I don't I probably couldn't be in a relationship where we did absolutely everything together but man she has stepped up as a stepmom she's absolutely fantastic and then as a co-founder of Ruthless Kindness she's pretty amazing as well and we have different skill sets so it's very nice and complimentary but then we go off to our different jobs and that's good too. (laughs) For people who'd like to get involved in Ruthless Kindness right now we're still pretty new we still our headquarters is our home So we don't have the ability to have a ton of volunteers. We have a mobile medical unit and we go do free veterinary care for victims of domestic violence and others who are in kind of urgent crises where they need medications, vaccinations or medical records so they can get into housing or they can get into a safe house. But we don't yet have the capacity to manage a lot of volunteers. We are doing a capital campaign where we're trying to You know, we've been doing this for four years now. We're really dialed down on the need and we know exactly how to scale it up. So we are fundraising to get a headquarters where we can do more for both animals and people who are at risk. So the number one thing we need right now are partners, financial partners, businesses, individuals, anybody. We would love to talk to you. And that's, you can go to our website, which is ruthlesskindness.org. Or emails info at ruthlesskindness.org. And then when we get to that stage, we're going to want volunteers from, you know, veterinary volunteers to just large animal handling volunteers to social services volunteers. So we just need to get to that point. And then we're going to be looking for volunteers for sure. And anybody could reach out now and say, when that happens, put me on the list. That would be great. And do a lot of the, so you're saying you do a lot of the veterinary care for those animals. Do a lot of shelters take in the abused and the animal or what does that look no. like? So it's interesting. About 50% of victims of domestic violence won't leave their abuser for fear of what will happen to their animals. So they literally are staying behind because they're worried about their animals, but only 15% of domestic violence shelters will accept animals. So there's a mismatch there. Yeah. We have to get more animal friendly housing for domestic violence abusers. There are some humane societies and boarding facilities who will take the animals, but the victims don't want to be separated from their animals. So they sometimes will put up with it short term, but they need their animals more than ever at that point. So we really need to have safe houses and shelters who will accept that. And there is grant money out there for domestic violence shelters to, you don't have to make big renovations. You can just make one room pet friendly, right? It doesn't have to be anything massive. And there is money out there for that. Uh, for example, Red Rover is an organization in Sacramento that really helps making grants so that domestic violence shelters can be pet friendly. 
so what we do is if there is a shelter, domestic violence shelter, that has room for a woman and an animal, they still have basic standards like the animals have to be vaccinated, they have to have veterinary records, they have to have proof of ownership. Most people leaving domestic violence don't have those things up to date and ready to go. So the shelter or the victim advocate will call us. We bring our mobile unit, we meet the victim wherever they are, wherever it's safe, comfortable for them, and we just provide all of that on the spot. It's totally unrealistic for them to be able to get an appointment at a vet clinic, to be able to pay for it, to have transportation, right? To wait three weeks until that appointment comes. It's just unrealistic. So yeah. we can just go 24-7, bring our mobile unit, get it done, and they're you know ready to go in an hour. As far as somebody who's thinking about leaving an abusive situation, there's so many more people out there in abusive relationships than we want to recognize. It's so common, but it's so confusing when you're in it. Your life is totally entangled with whoever it is, right? And your confidence is low and your reality is questioned. And, you know, maybe your finances aren't set up to be independent and maybe there's children or animals or homes or whatever it is involved. But most of all, there's the mental and emotional confusion. And so it's not easy to leave. And I guess all I can say is I don't know anybody who's left a toxic relationship and regretted it. What I hear is I wish I'd done it sooner. And you can't force anybody to do it early, but once they're ready, it's like there's so much support out there and there's not a lonelier position than being all isolated and thinking about should I leave, but there's so much support. Family Justice Center of Sonoma County, YWCA, Verity, those are just a few of the organizations in Sonoma County that are absolutely amazing and people can reach out to them. And there's a domestic violence hotline. Just Google and get that number. There's so much help. Who are some of your inspirations, whether in the nonprofit world mm-hmm. or life in general? My biggest inspiration is Jane Goodall, the chimpanzee scientist. From a very young age, I thought she was a rock star. She was like my celebrity rock star hero. You know, she's obviously extremely well regarded now, but in her youth, she was this you know cowgirl who was like i'm gonna go live in africa and i'm going to name chimpanzees which was totally not something you did in the scientific community you just gave them numbers and so she really was a trailblazer and now we think of her as this older english woman and you know she's esteemed but i think the way she went about her career was actually quite brave and badass the difference she's making the fact that now she's in her geriatric years and she's still touring and trying to give back and still trying to change the world. And a cool story about Jane Goodall is when I was trying to make that transition from medical school to veterinary school, I was still trying to figure out exactly what to do. And I was like, I just want to help. And I don't know, do I need to go to vet school? What career do I do? How do I make a difference? And I was like spinning all that around in my head and overthinking it. And I wrote her a letter and I was like, dear Jane, you know, (laughs) I want to help the world. How do I do it? And, you know, in this innocent, naive way, but genuinely like looking for some guidance and she called me at home she gave me her home phone number in england she's like have you ever we talked for a long time and she genuinely she's like well let's think about it if you go to vet school what would that look like and if you didn't what would that look like that is so cool career counseled me just picked up the phone and called me at home so i love her let's start with sonoma cart Mm -hmm. something that you see within the community that you're hopeful can evolve or change over time What I'd like to see change with Sonoma Cart is for everybody to be aware of 
the disaster response systems that are in place to help you and also be empowered with what you can do for yourself. So I would just like everybody to be armed with that information. Not everybody knows that Sonoma Card exists yet or that we're linked to the county animal services and how that system works. Everybody should know what we do, what the phone number is. And similarly, I would love everybody to buy into needing to be prepared and to actually get prepared. So when the next disaster hits, we can be as efficient and as effective as, as possible. So I think it's just outreach, getting the word out and, you know, people being willing to take that information in. And then in terms of your nonprofit, what is something you'd like to see evolve or change? You talked a little bit about this earlier with maybe some of the shelters and that percentage of mm -hmm. shelters that do take, you know, mm -hmm. the abused and the animals in. But mm -hmm. what is something you'd like to see evolve or change within mm -hmm. that? One of the things I'd really like to see change in Sonoma County is the way our philanthropy works. So I've been involved in some well-established nonprofits here, and I've been involved in a brand new nonprofit. And what I have seen is major donors like to give to sort of the pillars of the community that have been here for a long time. But we also need to progress. And whether it's my nonprofit or another, there are people doing innovative things that we desperately need. And so I know from the work that I've been doing that working with the human-animal bond is going to help us reduce suffering of both animals and people by exponential amounts. And so, but that's new. Mm -hmm. Right. And people are always they want to see things be validated. And, and I we're fortunate that we are validated and that we have gotten grants and we've gotten a Jefferson Award and we've gotten mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. But I would love to see Sonoma County not get reckless and just throw money around, but invest in innovative and progressive change. And just instead of just sort of the things we're already doing, going beyond the status quo, I think is really important. Sonoma County is primed to make those innovative progressive changes because we have people here who are open-minded there's enough money in our community that we can support programs so we're kind of ripe for really compassionate change so mm -hmm. it's an exciting place to be the horse community is always strong right in any community and and people usually come together in a strong cohesive way around equine activities of various sorts. What I like about Sonoma County as well as Sonoma Cart is the building of the bridges between different communities, the small mm -hmm. animal community, the ranching community, the, the exotic animal community. Too. Yeah, there's yeah. all these different disciplines. And especially when it comes to animal disaster response, we all have to work together, right? Sonoma Cart does all species. We've had reptiles, we've had cats, we've had horses, we've had hundreds of goats, pigs. We do, we, we literally take an all species approach. So I guess it's just really important for those walls to continue to be down and for us to all work together because all the animals in Sonoma County depend on us. Yeah. Regardless of species. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you for coming yeah. on. I appreciate yeah. getting to yeah. know you in real time. Yeah. yeah, it's good getting to know you too. <laughs> Thank That's you. funny. I definitely didn't imagine talking about um, Kate and my marriage. I was like, that is kind of an interesting story. Yeah. <laughs>
Don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, like, comment, share on both Instagram and Facebook. And if you or someone you know wants to chat with me, don't forget to email stableconnections.sb at gmail.com. New episodes will come out every Monday morning starting January 2022. See you next week.